I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. I'm joined today by a special guest. If you guys don't know him, then you live under a rock. You don't watch the games. There's going to be multiple reasons, but none of them are good. I'm joined by Obscure Stats Savant, Mr. Chris Forsberg. <laughs> How are you doing today, Chris? I, I actually think that's the kindest intro I've ever had. Obscure. That's actually the title I'm going to ask. Instead of, because I, I don't like the idea of NBA insider. It's like, it's just weird. It's, it, it, it always like, I'm just a guy watching games like the rest of y'all most of the time. But uh, Obscure Stats Savant would be the perfect little cut line for me on, uh, on, on descriptions. I mean, I feel like that's at this point, people are talking about it in game during the um, the commentary. We've heard Scal mention it. We've heard Mike Gorman kind of allude to it. Um, I think there was a piece where Perkins um, alluded to it in the third <laughs> quarter against the Clippers, if I remember, because I remember having to rewatch that quarter mm-hmm. because I was too busy listening to those three chop it up, <laughs> and I didn't actually pay attention to what was going on. Um, obscure stats savant. We'll make it a thing. We'll get it trending. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm actually gonna change my Twitter bio right after this. Oh, that would be amazing. I'll retweet it and tell everyone I I, uh, I invented this. It could be my claim to fame. Um, so <laughs> straight away we're off topic. We're off to a good start. Exceptional podcasting. <laughs> so Chris, we're speaking directly after. Well, not directly, but the day the day after the Suns' loss. Um, it was a tough game, right? For me, from my perspective, a lot of it was to do with more how intensely the Suns defended, the way they shrank the floor for the mm-hmm. for the Celtics penetration game. That, to me, kind of was more important to that game than the Celtics failing to score um, from deep. I know it kind of goes hand in hand, but if you can't penetrate, then you can't facilitate, and it has those um, domino effects. For sure. And, and you know, I think the, the hard part for me was they looked so good at the end of that Clippers game, both digging in defensively, getting those stops versus Kawhi, Shemi coming off the bench and, and, bring, and bringing that energy, but also like offensively, Kemba sort of finding a little bit of a groove there. So it was just a little bit jarring to see it go back the other way, fall into some, you know, what's been some familiar traps lately in terms of, you know, Kemba just struggling and getting frustrated. It's so weird to not see him smile. You know, like it, even when he when he's missing shots, it feels like, you know, he's always the sort of the guy staying positive. And between the Lakers game where he was uh, one of 12 and then they go four for 20 yesterday. I agree. Like the biggest thing to me about Phoenix is that their defense is so much better. And DeAndre Ayton providing that backline defense changes just about everything out there. And I think it's so undervalued just because people want to see the, the offensive stats. But that being said, you know, you know, I, I will say I walked away a little bit concerned about where Kemba stands. Um, you know, I, I hope he finds that joy again and finds that rhythm. I think having the other stars out there with him when they're healthy, you know, let's not forget Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown aren't out there. That makes it a, a big difference when you're, you got Carson Edwards and Grant Williams in your starting lineup instead. Um, and they just didn't have good spacing, you know, on the floor yesterday. So there's, there's a whole bunch of things that went into it. Um, I don't want to get too caught up in the loss, but you know, seven of their last 10, just, I, I'm more worried about the defense, I guess, than I am necessarily about the offense. Cause I think that'll come, but yeah, just not, not, not an, a terribly inspiring performance. Hopefully by the time people listen to this, they'll go out there and like totally turn it around against the nuggets. But, uh, for right now, I'm, I'm still a uh, jury still out for me. I remember last year when Grant Williams was going through his um, shooting slump to begin the year and 
when Grant got asked what type of veteran leadership Kemba had gave to him, Kemba had said, just keep shooting, just keep shooting until it falls. At what point do we ask Kemba not to follow his own advice? <laughs> I, I wonder if I, uh, if I would be brash enough to ask him in that, in that manner as well. You know, um, I always want Kemba to be aggressive, and, but certainly what I keep coming away with is, is, is like, is, okay, is he struggling to finish at the rim because he's just not getting the calls or because he's not trusting his body physically as he comes back from this knee injury, the, the latter of which would be a lot more concerning than maybe the former. But, you know, like, especially in reserve lineups when, you know, it's either just him and Jalen or just him and Jason, whatever, like, I need him to be super aggressive, run those pick and rolls, and not be fearful of that shot. You know, three-point shot, you know, 30% through Sunday's game, a little bit concerning. I, I feel like that number has to go up. But to me, like, you look at shots within three to 10 feet, here comes, you know, the first obscure stat of the day. He's shooting, like, 18% from three to 10 feet. And to me, that just... One, telling me that when he doesn't get all the way to the rim, that he's either getting blocked or, you know, throwing up a tough shot, not getting the whistle, allowing that to get frustrated. Um, so that's a balance he's got to strike. I, I want him to be aggressive, especially early in the year, especially when Jalen's out and there's shots available. Uh, but he certainly has to find the right balance, find the right shots. Uh, and that's why I'm just so curious to see this thing whole. You know, how did, how different do they look when they have all their horses out there? I think when Kemba first came back, we were excited. Like, okay, here we go. Finally going to see it. And I think 58 total minutes with Jalen and Jason so far. So sort of still in wait and see mode. I mean, for me, with, the, with Kemba's shooting at the moment, the biggest thing that kind of eases my worries, I'd say, is the fact that all these shots aren't front-rimming out. So it's definitely not strength a strength issue. It's For me, it's going to be more just getting those reps in. He went a really long time without playing basketball. He's now figuring out how to play behind Tatum and when Brown's back behind Brown. But for sure, like, I definitely want him to take a bit of it, go against his own advice and maybe selectively choose his shots a little bit more. Fair. Uh, completely fair. Yeah, and it, it, if his three-point shot isn't falling, then the next thing he provides value in is penetration and forcing defensive rotations. And I think that he's a good enough passer to be able to create some form of havoc there. When we're looking at the Celtics at the moment, today on Tuesday, as we stand at the moment, cleaning the glass have them 13th at the rim, hitting 63.9% of their attempts. There's an obscure stat. So um, we're just going to go back and forth with this obscurity. Um, it's not that obscure. <laughs> but that's, a gro that's growth for Boston anyway. For a team that everybody thought was this perimeter-based offense that was over-reliant on the free, sometimes mm -hmm. they hit try for the home runs instead of hit the singles well now they're hitting singles regularly but then they're failing to hit those home run pitches which seems to be a narrative flipped on its head where would you think that the biggest uh issue is with this offense do you think it's the fact that they're very predictable it's all high pick and roll or do you think it's they're just failing to see shots fall and this is something that will eventually like correct itself so again, it's hard for me to say, like, I want to see the ball in Tatum's hands more. And so maybe that forces Kemba to be off ball a little bit more, you know, because Tatum has the ability to throw those passes over the top of people. Like I, the other number that's jarring to me is Kemba hasn't taken a corner three this year. You know, I know that's not his shot. I know almost all of his career threes have been above the break and it makes sense, right? Coming off pick and rolls or, you know, spotting up. But I think in this offense, he probably needs to be in that position and let Tatum and Brown run pick and rolls and find him open looks, you know, maybe that's more of a rhythm shot. Um, but I agree, like, the number one concern I've had for this team is free throw rate, you know, and that's 
pretty much throughout the Brad Stevens era. Some of that just comes with playing small ball, like where you know you're you're looking for the threes. But if you if we sit here and say that threes and layups are the best shots, like well they got to get more of the latter. And you know some of that is just having guys that can take it to the hoop. Jalen Brown's development should allow that to be a more common thing. But you know even Tatum talked about after that the Phoenix game that he needs to figure out how to get more whistles. I think as a team, they just got to take some of the stress off that offense. Like in general, I'm not worried about the offense because I feel like they have so many weapons. They're going to figure out how to score points. You know, I'm almost more worried about the defensive side, but yet the shot profile just isn't, isn't good enough. Uh, Or at least the shot profile in terms of making layups, getting to the free throw line to take that pressure off. I think they can take a lot of the stress out and give themselves a little bit more wiggle room if they did that. And yet, you know, I don't necessarily know how easy it is other than, you know, Tatum and Brown continuing to be super aggressive. Kemba sort of finding that form and getting back to the line. I think he's only taken two, two and a half free throws a game since he's come back. You know, that's not enough for a guy who drives 10 times a game. Um, so it, it, some of that just is going to have to come uh, a little bit organically with them uh, being a little bit more willing to absorb that contact. And it would help if they got a whistle every now and then. It does feel like, you know, I mean, the two-minute report, at least, seems to think that uh, there's been a couple calls against them. I'm not ready to go full Tommy Heinsohn at this point, but um, some of that just comes down to being able to, to, you know, getting that respect from officials. You know, it'd probably help if Jason Tatum didn't throw his hands up in the air every time he didn't get a get a whistle. But uh, certainly, I agree that that number's got to go up. One thing Jalen Brown's done to improve his free throw rate, from something that I've noticed personally, is. He's using the veer more on his layups. He's kind of taking that veer step and then really getting guys on his hips before exploding. And you see guards do this all the time, but it's less common in wings to to veer step and draw fouls. But we're seeing Brown get to the line a lot more frequently compared to previous seasons for him as an individual. Uh, The conversion rate's a completely different story. We'll put that to one side. Do you expect to see Tatum start to add that veer in as well if he's looking to draw more fouls? You know, the way they push each other, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I think he can sit there and look at Jalen getting to the line more and be like, hmm, you know, like, what do I need to do to get those calls more often? I do agree. Sometimes Tatum is just so big that he just tries to, you know, get to the rim, like where he could be maybe a little bit more crafty at times. Um, That being, you know, like, I want him to be more aggressive and I want to see him attack the basket more, uh, you know, relentlessly, really, because he's just the, 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 the number of things he can do out of that. Um, but I think he'll get there. You know, we're seeing the assist numbers start to go up. I think even that's still too low. Like we've had a lot of talk on our network about, you know, oh, Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum's uh, assist assist rate is 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 starting to climb, or at least assists per game. Like you look at his assist rate, and it's still like nineteen point nine. Like that's got to go up. You know, he's just too good and drawing so much attention that he's got to be able to spray it around more. You know, you look at like the Lucas and the LeBrons of the world, and they're up at forty five percent and. Um, I think I don't, I'm not saying he's going to get all the way up there, but I just think he has the potential for that to really blossom in his game. If he gets, if he does that, and he's able to finish through contact and get more whistles, like that's just the next step in completely unlocking his offensive game. One of the biggest knocks I had on Tatum coming into this season was his ability to handle the ball at speed. So we know he's got the dribble coming off pick and rolls or from an isolation. But once he's on the break, if he's the guy that's tasked with bringing the ball up at speed, his handle can become really loose. Um, he becomes a bit of a turnover threat. For, I haven't seen much of Tatum actually running the break this year to be like, oh, well, okay, he's he's tightened this up right. or it's still an issue. I don't know if you spoke to him about his, what sort of drills he's been doing, but are you aware of he's been working on that handle for when he's in those positions? 
you know, I, that it's not. I, I can speak to Jalen for sure. Like, you know, I mean, I think it's it shows, right? Like every pretty much every practice for the past, you know, we haven't been there this year, but in, up until the pandemic, um, he would be working with Tony Dobbins there, one of their you know development guys on just handle and former point guard who, so he would be able to really try to unlock that portion of Jalen's game. And I've seen that. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Tatum is starting to, to put more of an emphasis on that as well. Um, I think in general, again, this team is typically good in transition, but like you tighten that up, it, it just allows them to go to another level. It, it's funny though, the same thing you said, like I, I started to think about like Tatum handling in transition and you know, nothing really like it, it doesn't seem to happen all that often. He gets a lot of those rebounds and pushes it initially, but isn't nor necessarily the one who's, you know, attacking after that right after half court, more like giving it up and, and getting it back. Um, you know, all those things will just make their lives easier, though. Like one thing this team struggles with is, is playing against set defenses. Like, you know, they just like you said, they're not creative enough at times to, 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 to exploit that. So they have to get those transition opportunities. I think Jalen's vision in the in, on the break, like I think about that, you know, those half court bounce passes he's been throwing. You know, if you can get all those guys to play on that level, then this team gets so dangerous just because of their ability to get out and move. The biggest concern with the what's limiting them running that transition offense at a higher clip is obviously the two big lineup. Daniel Tice has been a revelation this year. I think offensively, it's been his best season as a professional. Um, I, w- I didn't see much of him in Germany, but I definitely say including his time in Germany, mm. he looks. So versatile. He's really clever at picking where to space the floor, depending on who he's running the pick and roll with. So some guys he'll pop, other guys he'll rescreen for a pin down, and then other times he'll roll. But it is holding the team back in terms of transition offense. Do you see, like, obviously there's a lot of talk around who the Celtics might bring in with the TPE and yada, yada, yada. The one guy that makes the most sense to me personally is Harrison Barnes. Would you see Tice being a casualty of Harrison Barnes coming in or another four that can run? Or do you see Tice slide into the five and Thompson being the guy that takes that step back? It's funny because coming into the year, I thought there was a really good chance that Tice would be moved because I thought they would lean heavy on Tristan with that first group and that you hope that the development of Rob Williams would give you that sort of not only the, the the second, like the guy taking the rest of the center minutes, but the guy who probably projected to be your starter further down the road. But Tyson's been so good and displayed such chemistry with that first group that, or, or even with reserve groups, like, you know, especially since Kemba's been back, they just have a great chemistry together in terms of like that pick and roll, the alley-oop lobs. You know, we know he does it with Smart too. So when Smart's healthy. Um, so I think Tyson's played himself into a position where he's really valuable. Now, Certainly, you start thinking if you're going to make a move and you have to send out salary, it has to at least be a consideration because I don't know if they have the resources to spend to retain Tice after the year. Um, you're, you know, you're committed to big money for Thompson. I don't know if that's necessarily a deal you you want to move, especially since you know you just brought him in and he's starting to play a little bit better. You can see the prospects with him playing a little bit more bully ball and the the, the veteran experience that he has. So that's a balance they're going to have to strike when they get into these conversations. I think. You know, it's, it's funny because, like, as Grant starts knocking down threes, as Shemi has good moments, I think they're going to be the victims of if they add sort of that wing four guy. Like, those minutes should evaporate. I think you get a little bit tighter with your bench rotation. Can you still play three bigs at that point? You know, is, or is Rob the victim there in terms of, you know, you just don't have enough time for him? And that would be disappointing to me because I want to continue to see him develop. I think he's shown in those small bursts. Um, but Tice, yeah, like I feel like Tice has sort of played himself into a position where, you know, 
just less likely to be the one you want to include in a deal to make that money work. Because like with Harrison Barnes, okay, let's say they, that the Kings are relent and they say, yep, we're, we're going to make this move. We're going to need a pick and we're going to need some, you know, a young player and then something else. So could you get together a package where it's Tice and Romeo or Tyson Neesmith and a, fir- a future first round pick, which is going to be, again, if the Celtics are as good as they think they're going to be, isn't, isn't too prohibitive. Um, you know, is that too much to give up? Is it, the right idea because you have to, you know, if if Harrison Barnes is playing 30 minutes a night, there's probably not a lot of room to go around anyway at that 4-5 position. They're probably playing more single big. It's all balanced. They're going to have to strike. But, um, you know, part of me hopes that Tice sticks around because the development has been uh, fantastic. And um, I really think he, you know, late in games when you need that continuity, I, I think that Brad can really lean on that. And Tice has sort of forced that issue. Yeah, Tice has been phenomenal. You mentioned it might not be enough time for Time Lord, which was uh, quite funny in its own way. Um, you know, dry humour. Lack of Time Lord. <laughs> yeah, the lack of time for the Time Lord. What I need, what I did notice against the Clippers, and this was for multiple bigs, it wasn't just for Rob Williams or anyone individually, but when the Celtics ran that open corner pick and roll, primarily down the left side, a lot of really good things happened in terms of the spacing for mid-range pull-ups, um, for lob threats. Do you know why they didn't like why? Because what I've, I've spoke about this the other day, for me, it feels like they're finding things that work for this offense. Like um, a few weeks ago, they were doing a load of stuff off the baseline that was opening up the offense. Then they go to the open corner, pick and roll works. It feels like Brad Stevens is saying this works. I'm going to write it down and now I'm going to change <laughs> it all up and then we're going to carry on. And then eventually we're going to see this like whole offense that we've seen bits of all of a sudden create this beautiful jigsaw puzzle. And, Brad's pretty much an experimental guy until the All-Star break. Do you think that what we're seeing now is kind of Brad just figuring out what's working, what rotations are working, and as we move past the All-Star break, we're going to see everything consolidate more? So past history suggests that's what happens most seasons, is that he does experiment, sometimes straight, you know, even into the latter part of the year. Like I can remember there was a game in, I want to say Indiana, you know, probably three quarters of the way through the season. And for like the hundredth straight game, Brad got the question, are you still experimenting with lineups? And, he, and you know, we should probably know by now, this is what he does. And I think part of the reason they've had to go so heavy on the two big and three big is just that's the healthiest position, ironically. You know, with, you know, once Tice and Thompson were available and and having Rob Williams and Grant Williams play small ball five, you know, Shemi off the bench. It's like you, you just had more options there than necessarily with your depleted point guard where you're trying not to lean on Jeff Teague as much as possible because of his up and down play. I do think Brad pockets some of that information. Like I think eventually that two big lineup will just go away and like completely and they'll go single big, but in the right situation in the playoffs could always throw it back out there. Just a little bit of like institutional knowledge about when he can go back to it. Um, And just like you said, I think there's plays like he's trying to figure out, all right, what do we do? Well, okay. We do those baseline. we, we, We can do that now, you know, like, we can run that side pick and roll. Like, okay, well, let's 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 peel back now. Like, let's not get too much film out there for teams to see. Which probably isn't the. Right, I don't know if that's necessarily the right approach. Maybe we're giving them a little bit too much credit. But um, I do think there's instances where Brad likes to figure out what can and can't work, and then sort of take that week at the All Star break, take a breath. Who are the guys I'm leaning on? Who? What is the offense we're going to run? What is going to be our identity? How can I mask things that we don't do well? Uh, at least, I guess, if you're a Celtics fan, that's what you're hoping based on the uneven returns so far. It has been um, a really roller coaster year, to be quite honest. There's been things that have been like really encouraging, like those baseline drives, the 
corner pick and roll, and a bunch more. Defensively, we started to see some growth. I noted earlier that the team overall this year are 8th in offense, ninth in defense. But then over the last two weeks, they're 18th on offense and 7th on defense. So defensively, I know Brad said that the team doesn't feel like a Celtics team in terms of their defensive identity. But they're still a top 10 defense, no matter which way you look at it for the year so far. And that's only going to improve. So the offense... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying. So the the the, the only way, I, the only reason I like because I, I heard the same thing. I'm thinking, wow, they they were 21st in the league in defensive rating a couple weeks ago. Now they're crawled up to ninth or eighth or whatever it is, and you know you think, wow, that's a lot of progress. But narrow it down to fourth quarter. I think their defensive rating in the fourth quarter this year is something like 125 or 150, no 115, and they rank 25th. I mean, they're not getting the stops when it matters, and yeah. in crunch time, you know they. Got they they started so quick because they won a lot of close games at the start of the year. Some of that was luck. Tatum banking in a three pointer against the the Bucks, you know. But other times they were digging in and getting stops. The last eleven games, pretty much since they come out of this COVID break, you know, the numbers are really you know damning for the fourth quarter defense. Like they've been doing it re- relentlessly for the first three quarters, at least giving themselves a chance to be in those games. They haven't always been crisp, and like it's not been perfect. But then they get to the fourth quarter, and that, so that to me, that's okay. Brad Stevens' team, fourth quarter. This is when you dig in, you get stopped, you get transition. You like, you know, you, this is the hallmark of his successful teams, and that hasn't happened. So that's what I think when I hear him say, you know, we don't have that identity yet. That's what he's looking for. I think they've seen, they've shown they can do it. Okay, now show me you can do it when it matters. That's why that Clippers game again, getting those stops late. I thought, all right, here we go. This is when this is the Celtics turning the top, the, the tide on you know, how it, how it goes late in games. Then against the Suns, couldn't get any stops, offense sputtered, you know. So to me, it's just about doing it in the right right moments. Like, you, you certainly want to do it for 48 minutes, but everyone knows that doesn't happen. Uh, when games are going to be close and they're going to be close in the playoffs, you know, you need to be able to to really lean back on that defense. And that's why I think they, they want a little bit of a jolt when we talk about the TPE and, okay, you know, why does Harrison Barnes make sense over a J.J. Redick? Because you can lean on him multiple positions defensive versatility whereas like i don't know if the offense necessarily it would help to have another shooter i think we've, we've seen the value in another wing and that but, but harrison barnes can do a little bit of that and give you the versatility so it's, it's just a balance we talk about another shooter and something that came out and i mentioned on my podcast today um was when the, like shemi against phoenix his shots weren't falling he's had a bit he had a really good start to the year and it's he's kind of hit a rough patch that's completely fine everybody goes through their struggles but when you're in a team when you're in a game where a guy that's on the floor i, I understand for his defense as well but if his shots aren't falling wouldn't you like brad to at least gamble on what neesmith can bring to the floor and does and then that kind of brought me to the question of what well, does Brad not trust Neesmith at this moment in time? Has ne- has Neesmith not shown enough to earn Brad's trust when you need those buckets? I, I don't know if you bombed in on our, we just recorded our Celtics talk podcast and one of what we did a little fill in the blank game. And I said, you know, cause I know Brad's getting some heat and every time the team goes into a little bit of a, of a funk, you know, people will lament this rotations or, you know, uh, why can't he catch the team when they kick away leads and you know it's the normal stuff and some of that stuff is fair like some of that does fall back on the coach my only gripe with brad right now is he's trying to straddle this line between winning games and being competitive and it comes at the expense of player development at times this is not new this has happened for years now where it takes rookies a, a little bit of time to either earn that trust or for him to feel confident to put them in 
a game. Now that's compl- I, that's understandable on, on one level, right? Like, you know, you don't just show up to the NBA and get minutes. Like some of that has to be earned. But if you're going to lean on the Carsons and Shemmies of the world, you know, why can't you find 10 minutes a night to give Neesmith some running? We saw that for a little bit. And I felt like he started making some strides. Still wasn't great defensively, but he was making those hustle plays. What was against uh, Toronto or Miami? One of those games where he like raced to the other side of the floor, blew up a, a potential lob. And I said, okay, that's what I want to see. He might not be in the right spots all the time, but he's trying. And it's energy and effort. And that will eventually lead to development. Well, now he's gone like on the side of a milk cart. And we haven't seen Neesmith in, in, in a week now. And I'm left like... Are they hiding him? You know, because again, we don't see a lot of practices. I can watch a little bit of warmups from the monitor in the studio. Looks like he's making shots. I, again, the shot making doesn't matter. He's got to earn that trust defensively. And we can't tell behind closed doors how much of an impact, like how much of a case he's stating for Brad. One of the things we heard about Carson was when they did that simulated game with Jason Tatum, like Carson was so good, both defensively and offensively, that Brad was like, he's playing tomorrow. And so that opened the door. So maybe Neesmith just needs a stretch like that. A little bit more difficult when you, you're never practicing and, and all that. But so I, I, fair or unfair, I'm left to wonder, is it because they don't want prospective trade partners to know that there's limitations on what Neesmith can do right now? Or is it just a matter of Brad's doing what he normally does and forcing that rookie to, to earn time? I think you throw any of these young guys onto another team. Like if you put Carson Edwards in Cleveland, partly because he just always goes nuts against Cleveland. I feel like he'd probably be a, a pretty serviceable player. I'm a little bit fearful that whatever move they make, like Romeo Langford might be a very good contributor for whatever team he goes to if they move him or Neesmith, whatever, you know, if they have to pay the price of a young player in that deal, which is why I just wish they could carve out a little bit more time for these guys. And again, I, I get it. Like I can't sit here and say I'm upset that the Celtics are, are losing games because they're not playing to their level and then say that they should be throwing a rookie out there, you know, certainly not in the fourth quarter. So it's all a balance. Um, and I just I think they've got to find a better way to develop those young players, especially in a season where there's no G League, right? Like we can't get a look at these guys. And, you know, I don't know how much you take from that anyway, but at least again, reps. Um, I just I, I sit here yearning to know, like, could Aaron Neesmith help this team? Maybe the answer is just flat out no, but I'd like to at least see it. That's my outlook on it as well. I would like to see it, and I understand that Brad's in a lose-lose situation. You lose games, there's media pressure, there's pressure from the fans. If you lose with your starting five, at least, you can say this was the best team we could physically put on the floor. If you've got Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith on the floor, well, no, it wasn't the best team. Now you're coming under even more heat. But at the same time, I also look at it from the position of if these guys play well, if they show you that they're serviceable, serviceable NBA players with a ceiling that can, they can continue to grow towards, well, now trade discussions have more value. You can yes. you don't have to weigh two guys up instead of one because Romeo Langford has shown you that he can be a slashing two-way wing or Neesmith is the reincarnation of JJ Redick or Kyle Corver. It makes sense to me, um, but I also understand why he's not playing. The last one, last question I want to ask. I wrote a bit of a controversial piece earlier in the over the weekend about Jeff Teague. Um, title: Jeff Teague was a mistake. Um, That's a controversial take. Apparently so. Apparently so. So um, I was wondering what your thoughts on Jeff Teague were. 
Uh, so I think in general, I, like the, the, the difficult thing for me being the, the, you know, uh, stats nerd is I look at the numbers and his on off splits are like, like he was performing at a level comparable to Tatum in terms of how the team performed when he's on the court. So I sit there and say, you can't totally kill him because it, it's generally like, it's not like he's not playing a lot of minutes. He's getting the opportunity and the team is performing well when he's out there. So there's some value in that, you know, whether it's his impact or just, you know, the fact of, of those lineups, but um, the eye test tells you the complete opposite. And there are just way too many times where, especially where they've had to lean on him in, in fourth quarter situations where he'll, he'll have a defensive lapse. And I'm sitting there holding my head saying, where, what is he doing? Like he's in no man's land, just kind of like looking around. And like, we knew that about Jeff T coming in. He didn't make his bones on the defensive end. He was an offensive player who had a quick first step, lightning fast and could get to the basket. Uh, and yet, you know, I, I would say it's a minimum signing. I didn't have overly high expectations for him. Um, I think he's exceeded that at least based on his ability to hit the three-point shot. But I've been underwhelmed by his ability to make anything inside of the three-point arc. Like the floaters hasn't gone. The layup hasn't been there. I think he ran a nice give-and-go with Grant yesterday, right? Like that was that was encouraging. But um, otherwise, like, I, you know, I can't say like – and when you have Marcus Smart on this roster, when you have Kemba Walker, that I need more from Jeff Teague. He's been put into an elevated spotlight because they've lost Pritchard and Smart and didn't have Kemba at the start of the year. Um, but, you know, it would be nice with their veteran additions if you could feel more comfortable, you know, leaning heavy on those guys. We're starting to see it a little bit from Tristan. You know, maybe Teague will come about around a little bit more. But, yeah, certainly the early eye test does not suggest, you know, like when they're healthy – I don't think he's earned the right to play big minutes. And, you know, his Twitter burner account, DeMarco, will tell me opposite. But um, oh, you know that DeMarco too. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's definitely not him. No one could be that obvious, right? <laughs> I mean, he's plays bad enough that I, I don't know. Um, I, I kind of feel like it has to be him because it's so obvious. Like, do you ever think that when you're doing something, you're like, if I make this so obvious, no one will ever believe it's me because it could be that reverse psychology thing. Obscure stats, yeah, it's like um Sigmund Freud type of breakdown <laughs> for you. Obscure stat time at the time of writing the article, Jeff Teague had ran fifty-two pick and rolls. Do you know how many times he passed to a big man out of those pick and rolls? Oh, jeez. All right. So, well, I, I mean, now it must be criminally low. Um, but I hope it's something like like I really hope it's zero. But um, I will say like. I mean, you run 52 pick and rolls, at least at least probably a half the time you should spray it to a big man, right? I mean, like, no, I mean that's my outlook on it. At least like yeah. 25% of the time, or no, sorry, 50% of the time should go to a big man. Right. So I will say he's at something criminal like uh, 25%, which would be uh, like, you know, 12 and a half. So I would say 13. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> that broke me. Yeah, twice um, he passed off to a big man twice in 52 pick and roll. Have, have you gone through to see what instance they were with a like clear as day roll like that he had to give it to daniel ties uh yeah so i went back and watched every pick and roll he's played this year and there was one where it was just like the floor was so open for the pick and roll that if you didn't pass it you don't belong in the nba and the other time was um the big rotated over from the weak side and closed the driving lane but there was an easy bounce pass to Rob Williams in the in the uh, weak side dunker spot, and he just bounced it off. But literally two out of fifty-two. I mean, that's, what, that's how many how many times did he shoot off of that? 
Uh, I think it was like a 60% pull-up rate. Wow. Okay. Or, or layup, because he likes that like jelly layup yeah. that's the worst layup in the world, right? But, but um, the problem is he hasn't made any layups this year, and so you don't want him. Like, if you if that was a, a serviceable shot, maybe it'd be okay. And again, I want Jeff T to be a little bit aggressive with that second unit. Like, I want him to search offense. Like, I, part of the reason they probably brought him in. Like, again, you're not bringing him in for defense. Uh, that being said, yeah, he needs to be a little bit better. You know, and again, so I, I like – he's – He's a cool guy. He watches a lot of WWF wrestling. I appreciate that. Um, but the way Peyton Pritchard's playing, I would be surprised if Jeff Teague had an elevated role if he continues to not pass to the big man in role situations. Pick and rolls, like if you're running a high pick and roll, you need to reward the role man at some point for that pick and roll to be worth running. Um, or else are going to get frustrated. Like if, if every time Robert Williams rolls and he's got a look and you're not throwing the ball to him, like you're 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 gonna you're you're gonna that, that's gonna cause frustration. So uh, if nothing else, then to keep like it's a quarterback dropping back and looking off the same receiver every down. Like you're eventually your receiver's like, well, screw this. I'm not gonna run the route. Yeah, I'm not gonna set the screen, or if I do, I'm gonna move and let them just yes. classy. Yeah, makes no sense. Chris, I've let I've kind of gone a few minutes over what I no, said. No, no, no. There's no time limit here. I want to. I want to. I'm going to switch this around. Like, how how are you feeling about this team overall? Because I'm always eager to get the temperature check from people outside the building. Because like I like Twitter, it's just like you know how it is. It's, it's just it's, it's a all crazy, doom crazy and gloom. Place. Like panic meters everywhere, and I probably I'm guilty of falling into it at times too. But uh, how are you feeling overall about this team? I'm very high on this team. I think there's a lot of um, encouraging pieces. I'm still a little bit concerned about Kemba, to be quite honest. Um, I don't know whether his long-term fit on this roster makes as much sense as it seemed to when he was first traded for, and even then it was a little bit questionable. Um, outside of that, I think there's some really good young pieces. Um, I'm unreasonably high on Romeo to the yes. point where um, if anybody mentions him in trade talks to me, I'm just like, I don't want to speak to you no more. Um, <laughs> You're going to edit so, out that part where I said that he could be included in a trade? Oh, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. I, I People uh, people send me messages sometimes, like, ro- like literally just trolling me, Romeo's getting traded. And that's all they say. And I'm just like, I should block you for this blasphemy. Um, that's me with Time that, Lord. That's you with Time Lord? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's always the one guy that you just think um better than what a lot of people, <laughs> what he probably is and what most people see. Outside of that, yeah, I just think that they're really weak at the four. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see a move made or a player kind of step up into that role a little bit more to take the burden off that rotation, because that is where teams are kind of attacking. Now you see a lot, you see teams figuring out how to manipulate the four on defense, which is why Grant Williams had such an issue. He was getting put in like corner pick and rolls. Obviously he doesn't know how to ice. So he needs to spend a week or two in New York with tips um, because there was a lot of open corner freeze. Uh, other than that, I'm, I'm quite, um, I'm quite encouraged to be honest. We're pretty much in lockstep because I am bullish on Romeo as well. We did a like sort of preseason surprise. And I think people forget just because he hasn't been out there that like Brad was willing to trust him in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and that said something. I know they were still probably a, a player too short from having like a firm rotation, and they needed somebody. So like the, you know anyone who could could have stepped in at that point was going to get a chance. But I just think Romeo's skill set. You know, we spent so much time talking about you know what do they need, and they they need someone who can replicate a lot of what. Gordon Hayward's departure left for a void. And Romeo, I think, can do that. He can handle the ball. He's one of their better pick and roll players when he's healthy. And, you know, he has to work on his shot for sure. And they've been trying to do that, putting the ping pong paddle on his hand and getting the release right. Um, but those are things you can work on. Uh, I think the defensive instincts, 
um, the size, the versatility. I just think he, he can bring a lot that this team, like when you look at this and say, you know, what do they need? He could fill a lot of that. I think he's a, a good second unit wing for when Jalen or Jason isn't out there. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying the same way. Like when I think about, well, what should they part with in a deal? You know, I think Romeo's the last guy, like among the young talent that they'd want to have to move in a deal just because of how bullish they are on where he's going. And that's not to say that maybe they think they probably think highly of Neesmith as well. Um, and they, they do have put a priority on shooting, which we've seen with why Carson has been able to survive on this roster. Um, but I do hope they find that sort of four man, you know, I, anyone besides Barnes out there that you like. I'm so like cliche with this. Um, I see it in the Sla- Celtics block group chat, like the Slack channel. And, um, the two names that kind of get bounced around the most, are Harrison Barnes and Aaron Gordon, um, mm. I like Aaron Gordon. I think that, and this point got made to me, so I'm not making this point. This was something that was said to me that I kind of got on board with uh, by Keith Smith. He was like, Aaron Gordon's always been the first or second option for his career, and he's not been a very good first or second option for mm-hmm. his career. But he could be a very serviceable third or fourth option, somebody that's there to cut in off the wings, use his, use his athleticism to add some additional vertical spacing, or to be an outlet guy just to hit corner threes. And if that's all he's asked to do, then he can lock in on that one specific aspect and be quite valuable. I just don't think he's as much as a two-way guy as what Harrison Barnes is. Um, And I just don't think there's anybody better than Barnes that's available without shipping out half of the farm to get him. So it's quite tough. I'm not on the JJ Reddit train. I think he's too old. Um, I love his podcast. So, you know, if he wants to come here and it means I get to speak to him, great. Uh, outside of that, he's not going to help you defensively. Uh, he's not going to run the floor in transition, and his three-point shot, I know he's dealing with hamstring injuries and calf injuries at the moment, but if that's waning, there's no value there. If he was a reliable um, floor stretcher, um, New Orleans wouldn't want to get rid of him when they're trying to make the playoffs this year. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all that, too. Like Every time I hear someone's pitch, JJ, like it's not that I don't like the player. Like I think shooting is invaluable in this league. I just, you know, if your biggest issue right now is defense, you know, that's, you're not, I mean, can you imagine a JJ Kemba backcourt in crunch time? Like, I just don't see how they could get away with it. And so uh, I think they, they definitely need someone they can feel comfortable putting out there in a crunch time lineup. Aaron Gordon, I don't know, you know, like, I feel like, you know, you'd be a little bit more of a dice roll. You feel like maybe you could unlock some of that potential. Uh, might come down to cost at that point. Like selfishly, him being hurt right now, you know, probably helps their position in terms of like, well, we're negotiating for a guy that you know is is not uh, not healthy right now. Uh, but Orlando's so weird. I like a lot of Orlando's pieces, and yet it just hasn't worked there. And so there's, there's probably a reason for that. Uh, but you can sell me on, you know, like if, if if they couldn't, if they struck out on on the, you know, in, uh, Gordon's and Barnes of the world, and yeah, I don't, I don't want the PJ Tuckers or the Red X. Terrence Ross, maybe. I know his three point numbers aren't as great as usual, but. Um, He's always killed the Celtics. Him and his Smith, ironically. Uh, so, uh, but there, there'll be something. I keep waiting for like the one wild card, the one guy we're not thinking about that becomes available. I know a lot of people are throwing Thad Young in that conversation. I would love Thad Young. I would absolutely adore Thad Young, but he doesn't give you longevity right. with that TP. And I, I feel like a lot of the guys that I've seen kind of banded around just across social media a rule on expiring deals. Yeah, so that's the problem. They yeah. can't do, they can't afford to do that. They need someone that's locked up or at least someone with bird rights that, you know, you would feel comfortable spending to retain, but even that gets cumbersome. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I kept hoping Dallas would fade 
maybe they'd have to like think about blowing it up for some not blowing it up but like making some moves to set themselves up to put someone elite besides Porzingis next to to Luca. Maxi Kleber would fit really well with what they do. Maybe not defensively, yeah. but I mean their offensive would be would be fantastic. So I don't know because it's going to be fun next few weeks. Your podcast will not lack for information because whatever uh, as we analyze whatever Danny's going to do every night they play somebody. I sit there and say, what, who on their roster could be available? <laughs> yeah, I um, I was in a discussion earlier about George Hill, um, Ooh. and I was like, George Hill would be great. It doesn't it doesn't fill any holes on the roster at all. Uh, all he does is make it a lot easier to tell Teague to kick rocks. Um, but I mean, being fair, but outside of that, I just uh, he's like probably the best veteran guard that could be available that could come mm. in to shore up that second unit. But then you're taking away developmental minutes from Peyton Pritchard, who has been nothing short of fantastic. So when Mark when Marcus Smart went down, I, I did think like, oh man, they got to call Oklahoma City right now, just like because I thought it was a longer term injury. Just like you said, if it's a short term injury, it makes so much more sense to ride it out. Because like if Marcus, if, if Peyton Pritchard, if you're comfortable with the idea that he can do what he's doing now in the playoffs, there's no need to really upgrade that position. Yeah, because it looked like the Achilles right at first. Because yeah. if you, I remember seeing it and thinking. This is what KDs look like. And then they said it was a calf strain, and they said KDs was a calf strain back Ugh. then. And then it was the next day that you found out that it was something a fell more sinister. Right. And um, it did look horrible. Thankfully, he's fine. Uh, thank- thankfully. Um, I don't know how long he's going to be out for now. It's another week or so, right? Yeah, so probably another couple of weeks. It sounds like you know they're, they're, they won't rush this thing. Uh, but you're looking at a scenario where if Marcus gets healthy, Romeo should be back. In a couple of weeks, if I had to guess, based on just watching him get up shots in pre- in, uh, in some of these games, before these games, um, you know, you're looking at where that bench starts to tighten up a little bit. And, you know, maybe not, you don't have the inconsistencies. And maybe Brad does hone in on the guys. Uh, but then the wild card is just a trade player exception. Again, what, who comes in? Where do they slot? Whose minutes are, are, are affected by it? You know, I, I feel, almost feel bad for Shemi. You know, play that well in defensive situations, but you know your time's going to dry up if if they get a four who can consistently hit a shot. And Grant's actually shot the ball well, but just like you said, like it doesn't seem like they've been able to lean on him as quite as much as I probably thought coming into the year. It's all balanced. So they were using Grant in preseason in the Horford role, right? Yeah. Like they were using DHOs off the top of the wing, off the, mm-hmm. sorry, off the wing. Then they were doing fake DHOs and letting him turn the corner off an open pick, and he just looked like he'd just figured out everything. And then all of a sudden, it just nosedived. And now he's building it value back up. And I tweeted the other day saying, what, people, what I'm trying to keep in mind is that not all of these players right now are playing for their future in Boston. They're playing for their future in the league. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys are going to be free agents at the end of the year. Others are going to be trade bait. And just because you're traded to a team doesn't necessarily you're going to get minutes on that team. So everybody at the moment is basically having a, um, an audition to stay within the, the NBA stratosphere and not all of that audition is to get minutes in Boston. I don't know. And I can kind of put everybody on what side of that argument I need to, but Grant is the one guy that sticks directly in the middle of that argument where I'm like, I don't know if he's auditioning for a bigger role here or somewhere else around the league. I, just to, to bring it full circle. I think that essentially every time one of those guys goes in the game, I think to myself, they need to be playing at full throttle, full effort, because they're not only, like you said, they're not only playing to win Brad's confidence and win Brad's trust, but like they're just playing to like have a role somewhere, do so, you know, and I just want to see them kind of crank it up a notch. I think that, you know, watching the way Grant responded to those two DNPs should have been a little, I think it was a little bit of a message like, hey, you know, when you go full throttle, when you play to your potential, you're someone who can be 
help this team. I think every guy on that roster needs to feel that way when they're in the game right now. Yeah, and we're seeing that from guys like Carson. They are really trying. I mean, Tremont Waters probably tried a little bit too hard, but I try not to get as critical over two-way guys because you're a two-way guy because you're just not quite there yet. And to have the expectations on you like what Taco does um, is quite, is really unfair just because because you are a two-way guy. You are not at an NBA level yet. You're, you're very close, but we're just not there. The other aspect – sorry, go ahead. No, no, go for it. The other aspect I was going to ask you about, and then I promise I'll let you get out of here. I'll let you get out of here. Is um, what happens if they use the TP in the summer to try and swing a sign and trade in the off season? Because that was another way I looked at it. But then it hard caps them again for right. another for like the third year in a row, and we've seen what sort of cap acrobats that can cause. And so that's what what I keep coming back to. I think first off, I think the window is open, right? When Jalen and Jason played the way they did the first month of the season, I said, okay, they got to be more aggressive than maybe Danny's been typically. And so I think that put a little bit more onus on moving it now or using it now. They could certainly take either a small, a smaller chunk of it, like make a smaller move. But again, like I almost want to see them swing for the fences here because I think you need to make an impact move um, to justify having settled for, in a way, settled for the, for the traded player exception. Um, and once you get into the off season, when Tatum's number goes up, you know, all of a sudden, not only you hard cap, but the, the the salary bloat is so much that I don't understand. I don't think you could use I'm crunch the numbers, but I think it would be cumbersome. You know, when you think about Jalen, Jason, Marcus, uh, and Kemba accounting for probably something like $115 million, if I'm doing my math in my head right, probably more. Um, you know, you're at the sal- you're at the cap before you're even talking about the 11 other players on the roster. And now, so how are you adding a $20 million guy and staying under the $134, $136 million hard cap that you'd be subject to? It just gets a lot harder. At that point, you're probably going to move Kemba. And, you know, maybe that's something you're willing to do, but I don't think you're getting full value back in that instance. And then, you know, if you're sending out Kemba, you don't need to use a trade except. So it's just, it just complicates everything um, if you wait to the summer. I just think it may, you, you don't have, you won't deal with what you're dealing with now where you're waiting for teams to just sort of wave the white flag and say we're not competitive and there might not be a lot of sellers on this market yeah. but uh, I just think that the the cap gymnastics gets a little bit tougher but I don't know Mike Zarin's made everything work so maybe they <laughs> maybe they could figure out how to, how to my do concern is it blooms like you saying you're at the cap with four guys and then at the end of next year uh, I've kind of I've never said this out loud but I've been calling it the um what have I been calling it the conveyor belt of doom, that was what it was, where it's going Marcus Smart's contracts up for renewal. Yep. And then sh- straight away, the year after, you're at Kemba Walker. Year after, right. you're at Jalen. Year after, you're at Tatum. Then you're back to Smart. And it's going to go like that. And it's going to be big decision followed by big decision. And if you can't put that roster together now, that you can start really knowing who's going to be here for the long term and looking to create deals with them, then it's going to be an issue in a year or two when you're trying to convince Marcus Smart to re-sign or trying to convince Jalen Brand to re-sign. I love it. I think I think we're, we are in complete lockstep in, in this agreement. Uh, my thing too, like when we talk about Harrison Barnes, you're talking about a guy whose contract would line up with Marcus Smart's, uh, I mean, Kemba Walker's completion date. And so you sort of set yourself up for the next iteration. Sorry, my battery was dying. I had to throw the charger on then. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And when I look at other guards around the league, I get ridiculed for this a lot. 
the one guard I think that fits perfectly with this roster, and nobody agrees with me, and I'm still stand, I'm going to die on this hill, is Lonzo Ball, uh, pass first point guard. For me, he's the modernized version of Rondo in terms of just pass first mentality, a very good perimeter defender, a bit longer than Lon- um, Rondo, but not doesn't have the same aggression, doesn't have the same um, competitive drive that Rondo does. But he, you can see the similarities in certain aspects. Do you think he would fit, or do you kind of lean against me like everybody else? I guess it's fine. No, no, no. I think in general, I just lean away from point guards because I feel like they've, it, 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 ironically, because coming into the year, I was like, they have to get a point guard. I actually wanted them to move up and get Halliburton. Like, I'll take that victory lap now just because of how good he's been. Kyra but, Lewis was my guy. Ah. Uh, so, you know, but like, look, Kira Lewis, anybody would have been, would have been like, I would have taken just a, a speedy point guard, a different point. Cause I just thought they needed that. They got it technically in Peyton Pritchard, but um, I thought like a high level point guard could help them. I'll buy what you're selling. You know, like I'm intrigued um, by what ball could bring. I just don't think it's the the priority right now, but certainly, you know, as long as it doesn't mean having to take back JJ Redick as well, then, uh, then I consider it. I mean, I'm just looking at when Kemper Walker's up, if mm. even if, you know what I mean, just if it, if the contract's lined up right and they were both free agents at the same time, I'd much rather take a, an, an admiring glance Lonzo's way, especially because Lavar's too busy in Charlotte now. So you get, <laughs> like, it, it just makes more sense. It just makes more sense. That is great. I like, I like that way of looking at it. Yeah, you always got to be the optimist. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for jumping on with me, Chris. I've had a blast. Oh, thank you, my man. Keep killing it. Keep doing great work. Oh, thank you very much. That means a lot, man. Thank you very much. Um, everybody knows where to find you, but if you want to plug anything, go ahead. No, I mean, just keep, please watch my network. Like, watch our <laughs> pregame show, our postgame show, come back for halftime. You get to see Perk screaming, Scal saying crazy things, Abby's holding it all down. Uh, and if you want to come check out the website, look at my nerdy stats. That's always great, too. I appreciate y'all. Nerdy stats. We've uh, we tried a few of them today. Thank you again, guys. I'll catch you again on Friday. No idea what I'm going to be doing, but I'll be here. So I'll speak to you on Friday.